Here we are again, episode three of Rooster Radio. I've described our surroundings quite often here at the Rooster Coop, and uh, I think we've probably hit rock bottom. We've been kicked out of our little office. We're now in this open space uh, where there's currently no lighting because um, we're waiting on a sparky to come in and do a bit of work. So it's a very intimate setting at the moment, James, where we've got a a nice little lamp. Um, We have our microphone on top of a crate, and it's uh, basically just plugged into the MacBook. So, yeah, look, I think we're up for a great episode. And it's the episode that I thought would never happen, to be honest. Mm, mm. Um, I was on my deathbed uh, sort of early last week um, with a little bout of gastro. Uh, and, yeah, I thought I was in big strife, to be honest. I had to go and get my will updated and just to make sure that, um, you know, all my affairs were in order. And then I, I flicked a message to you um, once I sort of got off my deathbed and then you went down as well. I think you gave me your deathbed. Yeah. I, yeah, no, we, haven't, we haven't had that awkward conversation yet about whether I passed on that bug to you. No, my cold sore is a bit of a problem. <laughs> um, but, no, yes, no, apologies for, uh, for last week, mate. Uh, very, very sick, so I'm, I'm glad that we can knock over two this week. Yeah, look, there's been some big issues that have sort of unfolded in Huge. that time. Um, one of them was an AFL footballer, Jake Carlisle, big name, traded from the Bombers to St Kilda. Go the Saints. Yeah, let's just recap really quickly. And I preface this whole statement with allegedly. Um, I don't <laughs> want to get us in trouble, Monty. Uh, no. So allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. He's... He has come out and, look, he has acknowledged, um, you know, hours after being traded to the St Kilda Footy Club um, that it was him uh, apparently snorting some white substance on Snapchat. Now, I'm not on Snapchat. I'm on Snapchat. Well, I mean, can you just give me a brief overview of what is Snapchat? What what is he thinking? So it's a video messaging platform and where people get sucked in is that Apparently, you, you send an image or a video and it disappears after 10 seconds. It's gone, forever erased, allegedly again. Again, allegedly. So, yeah, but people, but the thing is, is, so people think, okay, it's gone, you know, it's, you know, even if you saw it, it's gone, it's not going to surface again. But there's various sort of apps and software out there that records the images, or people can quite simply use another device to record off the phone. And I think that's what. Caught, has caught uh, Jake out. What? Like, seriously? I mean, is this the same model as the Ashley Madison? We protect your privacy so you can have an affair. And by the way, your details might be outed. Snapchat. Oh, this stuff gets erased immediately and now, look, it's popped up in the public domain. I mean, seriously. Yeah, I mean, look, there is that question of is anything ever erased online? So No. Yeah, exactly. So anyway. There's... It's besides the point, I guess. The real reason why we're going to debrief the Jake Carlisle issue, isn't it? Yeah, look, it is and it isn't. I think we can probably come back to some of the, the social media aspects, but um, there's one issue in particular to do with Jake that I'm interested in talking to you about, and that's culture and values. When you have a guy, um, a new guy joining your club, and from a corporate perspective, it's when a new person joins your company and they've obviously got this great talent, they've been hired. Everyone's excited. It's going to be awesome. But then immediately, what it's, something happens and it shows that their behaviour does not fit the culture and values of the company. Um, obviously, in Jake's context, it's the club. Um, 
I mean, where to now? From a, from a company perspective, the new guy joins, they've shown that they're not fitting. Um, what happens now, James? All I can say is bravo St Kilda. I mean, I, I was fortunate enough to spend four years there and everyone has this perception. I mean, what's your perception of St Kilda? I got there in 99, you know, drinking piss, having a good time. Yeah, that me- was mediocre, mediocre. Mediocre. Mediocre, okay. So, so I don't disagree. I think the perception of St Kilda is mediocrity. Um, albeit they had, they've got some amazing players and had some really good success in the mid-2000s. There's always been this question about culture. I think there's some issues with um, some guys in New Zealand playing for St Kilda. They were doing an exhibition match and there was some sleeping tablet you know, uh, abuse. Uh, obviously, the well-publicised incident with Stephen Milne and Lee Montagna. Um, you know, there was some sort of... Uh, what can you say, some sexual acts that apparently and allegedly happened, so there's a question mark there. Um, so for me, there's just been this continuing theme, and then all of a sudden you've got Jake Carlisle, who joins the club, within 24 hours is, is deemed to be doing something highly illegal. St Kilda got a few options, and I think I talked about in the first episode that um, in some ways a club can enhance its culture by the way that it reacts. What has St Kilda done? bang, they've come out and said, we're going to review your contract, mate. Uh, tick. Second thing, they've talked about their leadership group. There's got to be some player empowerment. Um, you know, he's going to have to front the, the leaders. They'll be massively dirty on him. I think, I think St Kilda has every right to rewrite the relationship and the, the commercial arrangement with Jake Carlisle. I just do. I mean, yeah, he's, he's abused the trust. Uh, from a culture point of view, they could have come out and subtly dog-whistled, oh, we don't know all the facts yet. We want to wait until we get all the information before we make a comment. Um, they might talk about, OK, well, let's, let's leave it to the players to decide, and so the club absolves itself of kind of that response. Bang. Um, Matthew Finnis comes out, and poor old Jake Carlisle. He's got the ex head of the AFL Players Association as CEO of St Kilda. So you know what? If he's rewriting contracts, I'll tell you, uh, it will be watertight mm. um, and it will be done in consultation with the AFLPA, I've got no doubt. So really, Jake Lyle doesn't have a leg to stand on and I think the, the way that, that St Kilda have dealt with this, I think, has shown a shift in the club culture. Front foot, strong, uh, clear, direct. And... From a corporate perspective, do you think companies should take a similar approach to staff? I know, look, AFL and your sort of standard small business are quite different, but I think the themes are very similar in terms of how you deal with people. So from a corporate perspective, what does this look like? Yeah, it becomes murkier, doesn't it? I mean, I know on a, on a work site you've got drug testing hmm. uh, and you've got um, people who are going out on the weekend. And so there are different expectations for footballers. Uh, I, I still come back to the organisation, whether it's a team, a sporting club, a business. If, if they respond in a way which is consistent to the, to the values and the behaviours that they're trying to uphold, then they will actually enhance their culture by reacting to these issues. And, and I'll re- remind everyone that having a strong culture is not that everything is perfect. It's not that everything just goes right. It's the complete opposite. It gives you a framework, 
a, re a response to issues when inevitably things go poorly. And what if St Kilda goes down the same old path where they do try and dodge it mm. and to again go to the corporate perspective, say the boss mm. looking at this new guy goes, oh, he'll be all right, we'll just let this one pass. Um, how does that unfold and how does that filter out to the rest of the company when the company takes that, that soft approach? Uh, I'll, I'll come back to what does the person next to the staff member who's had the issue think? I would be thinking if I was a member of a team where someone did something which was contrary, you know, in a significant sense, we're not talking about being a policeman for being late to work, we're talking significant breach. And if I was watching my, my, my teammate or my peer, you know, get a slight tap on the wrist, I'd be thinking that the boss thinks that this culture of values and behaviours things, to be honest, a bit of bullshit. Yeah. I think that's, it, it dilutes the message and the power. So next time I go to have a decision to go, do I live and breathe this stuff or I just take a bit of a shortcut? I'm taking a shortcut because I know what the boss really thinks. To go the other way, is, can you go too far with this and say, you know, with Jake... Could St Kilda have just said, you know, we can't afford to cop this, we're tearing up the contract, and it's done? From a corp corporate perspective, um, there would be some people out there who would say, someone like that, you know, they're within that sort of three-month window as a new staff member, this might be the only chance we can actually get rid of them before mm. they become an even bigger problem. No, I don't think there is too far. It's St Kilda, you know, they're coming from a low base, so a big impact, a big statement. We're, we're ripping up his contract completely, if it was legal. We're ripping up his contract. He's no longer accepted here. If you were dabbling in recreational drugs at St Kilda and that happened, what would you be thinking? Yeah, it's a clear message. Yeah. It, for me, no, you can't go too far. Um, it, there's just pros and cons. You lose a talented footballer. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to sacrifice that? with the bigger picture in mind of establishing a culture and a legacy that has real positive traits. I mean, oh, they, I'm, I'm fired up, mate. Yeah, you're on. You are on today. This is great. <laughs> I mean, what, what's the worst that can happen with all of this? So someone comes in, they're what some people would describe as a bit of a bad egg. How big an impact can they have on a company over the course of time? I mean, have you seen examples in the past, you know, obviously not naming names, but where someone has come in, um, the hardline approach hasn't happened, and therefore they've been allowed to almost um, become a bit of a cancer within that organisation? I mean, yeah, I've, I've experienced a couple of examples. as a you know, pretty high-profile example. The Adelaide Footy Club, I think one of the greatest players ever, um, uh, who joined the Adelaide Footy Club in 2000, and uh, I think it was... Four? Yeah, three or four. Three or four. Um, Assuming I know who you're talking about. I think, about. <laughs> I think everyone else will know. Um, and I, I'd be happy to say I don't think he was a very positive um, influence on our culture. And, and, and our senior players, I saw a shift in our senior players. So I think the, the damage can be huge. But again, I offset that and say, if you're willing to take a punt, I mean, you look at the, the teams that have won premierships and there's always someone who's got a question mark hanging over them. Um, in terms of selfishness versus talent. It's one of those age-old questions. You know, Malcolm Blight used to talk about he would love to pick the guy who'll win you a grand final over the guy who'll get you there. 
but he knew that there was a balance. Look, you know, Darren Jarman in a, in a semi-final against the Bulldogs in 97. Um, you know, was Darren Jarman the best athlete and, you know, most disciplined person? Maybe not. I guess this brings us to the next point, which is, well, how do you actually... Talking about these Darren Jarman types, but then bringing it back to business, how do you manage these people who aren't a natural fit in terms of a culture perspective, but in your team, you absolutely need them. They bring, you know, dynamic skills that the team needs um, in business. It might be sales. They're just making it Mm. rain. They're just Mm. bringing work in, but they just don't fit with the culture. And you know that they could potentially be causing that damage, but you just... You're just seeing their numbers, mm. and how do you find that balance? Oh, I've fortunately never been in that position. I don't envy anyone who has. Uh, one piece of advice that I guess Chris Scott um, gave me, uh, coach of the Geelong Footy Club, is, and this wasn't in reference to the Geelong Footy Club, it was actually in reference to his playing days at Brisbane, but one of the things that he said is that you need to look at highly talented people as, uh, who are selfish and don't live and breathe their culture a ghost? <laughs> I'm not sure if the, uh, if the mic's picking up that audio of a door opening and shutting, but it's a little bit annoying, but it's anyway, what happens when you're out in this. Back to my rant. Um, <laughs> if they're talented and selfish, you need to communicate to the broader group to not buy in to their antics. So in a perfect world, you'd have these highly talented people and they wouldn't influence your group negatively. So that's best case. Harness them on the field and isolate them off-field. But what does that look like in business? I mean, do you quite literally lock them in an office and say to the rest of the staff, do not interact with that man in that office (laughs) because he's he's great at sales, but we don't want him talking to you because he's... I would say if if you want to be a genius salesman and drive massive numbers and you want to run your own show, then go for it. But if you're not and you're not driving the numbers and you want to buy into our culture, then jump on board. And the first thing that happens, as soon as that, that selfish, talented, let's say, salesperson, as soon as their number, their actual output drops, guess what? They're, they're ready to be cut. You know, like, yeah. they're, they're not a sustainable um, outcome. So, um, yeah, so they basically, they have to be performing mm. at an amazing level because as soon as they drop off, um, they'll be the first with their head on the chopping block. I mean... My, I do have a question, though, about what level of due diligence goes in to picking these elite athletes, these AFL footballers, mm. and how much due diligence, how much due diligence needs to be done for finding the right sort of culture fit from an employee perspective? Yeah, it's interesting. I think... Uh, Firstly, at an AFL level, there's a huge amount of due diligence. You said that well. <laughs> that goes into someone's character in a draft. You know, yeah. so from a, from a drafting perspective, they look at these young kids and they'll rate talent versus character. And if they're the most talented footballer in the country and they've got poor character, they will get bumped down the pecking order. So I know there's a huge effort and focus. From a trading point of view, it's really interesting. Um, but... I would then flip the question back to you in a corporate sense and say, you know, how does social media and LinkedIn and Facebook pictures, how does that go into, into looking at someone who's being recruited? I mean, you'd have much more experience in that, in that area. 
Oh, look, it, it's massive. And I think you're naive to think that if you've applied for a job that the HR manager or whoever it is isn't going to be Googling your name and seeing what comes up. So um, from a personal brand perspective, you've got to obviously make sure that you've dotted your I's so and that, crossed your T's. That picture of you in a, in a, in a, you know, wearing a flag on Australia Day, drinking a tinny in the pool with some Yobbo mates, maybe not the best to have on Facebook? Oh, if, maybe if you're a tradie or something like that, <laughs> you might actually get extra points. <laughs> but, look, no, I absolutely take your point that, um, yeah, having that, cleaning up your personal brand is, is a massive thing. How much work do you actually need to do to be able to identify these problems before you actually bring them in? Recruitment's huge. I don't necessarily have an answer for you, but from my point of view, I think you know all the effort and time spent on bringing someone into your organisation is is going to be well worth it. Which I don't know. Probably one of the questions that springs to my mind is is actually where is all this heading? You've got you've got brands that are spending you know a lot of money, and as I've advocated advocated, um, you know they're broadcasting the image that they want. And in this day and age, you've got all these staff members who are publicly, you know, can be viewed through social media. It seems to me that we are raising the morality stakes. We expect a certain level um, of our brands and our companies, and really the underlying behaviour of people hasn't changed. They still drink drive. Look at, you know, the sex scandals, there's drug issues yeah. from corporate and football. That doesn't change. So where's this heading? Is this, is this disconnect going to get further and further apart? I think so. Um, unfortunately, yeah, I do think so. Already, particularly with the advent of social media and technology and the algorithm-driven world that we're living in, is we know too much. So already there's... Uh, platforms out there that will allow you to type in a name and then to be able to make personality assessments based on what they've written on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, all your social networks, and to be able to build a picture as to what that person is like before you've even spoken to them. So it's interesting times, it's scary times, but I just don't know how far it can go before breaking point I think I think you're right and I think there needs to be some uh, management of expectations in the in the broader world and the broader uh, public sphere because um, yeah at the moment we are humans and I think there needs to be the messaging which is about we react to issues and adversity um, in a certain way we you know we're not naive to think that we can prevent these things yeah and I think it's just a matter of keeping it simple with core values and expectations and not, you know, trying to rely on things like an algorithm because you're not going to be able to hire anyone if you, if you approach life like that. You're not going to be able to build real relationships, whether it's with staff or whether it's with, um, you know, referral networks or connections or whatever, if you're relying on this sort of sanitised approach. I am going to change tact a little bit though because we you did send me something last night which I think we should talk about mainly because it it got us excited that you know it sparked our interest Um, you sent me an email on that email there was a link and it talks about this idea of 
the new wave of co-work space um, businesses that are opening up in exotic parts of the world. I mean, can you give us an overview? Because I think we're on board. Yeah, look, I've sort of been stewing on it for a while. Um, I think it's called Digital Nomads or something like that. But where... Sounds like digital gonads. <laughs> <laughs> you just really lowered the tone. Um, no, so, you know, we live in this connected world where, depending on your industry and your role, a lot of what we can do can be done from anywhere. So more and more people are going, stuff it. I'm moving out of the standard office in the city and I'm going to go set up in some exotic location where it's sunny, where I can get $2 bintangs um, and whatever else, and I'm going to do this on my own terms. Would you say there's, there would be more infrastructure in Sierra Leone, for example, than right now this office? I mean, could we, <laughs> could we do this podcast anywhere in the world? I reckon you're right. It, it, does, it actually looks like a bit of a war site, to be honest. <laughs> it, it looks like that we've just, you know, taken refuge in some building in Baghdad and we're now doing a podcast. Sorry, back on, back on track. Yeah, look, so it just got me thinking and I was reading a couple of blogs last night. I've just booked some cheap flights uh, with my wife. Uh, we're heading to Bali in Feb. I was thinking, you know what? Particularly with the type of work that I do, um, which is a lot of digital marketing, comms-related work, I can do this from anywhere. And it's highly likely that when I go to Bali, I'm going to have to do some work anyway. So I sort of I started looking by thinking, okay, where's a co-working space nearby where I can get a reliable, a reliable internet connection and perhaps connect with a few other people who are working over there. And there's a heap of info about people in Bali and all other locations who have just set up and they're running their businesses and they're having a bloody great time as well. Um, I mean, the technology's been there for a little while, but what is it about... I mean, firstly, people go, oh, it costs too much. Mate, I'm, firstly, there's flights, and I, I booked flights to Bali, and I think it's about 150 bucks each way, so flights isn't a problem. Um, and then there's... What the, does it cost to, to join for, for three months, say, for this co-work space? Yeah, so it depends on your co-working space, but you might be looking at, depending on the sort of deal, whether it's part-time, full-time, or whatever, you might be looking at maybe a couple of hundred bucks Australian max So that's effectively month. your rent? Yeah, effectively your rent. Um, that takes care of your internet connection. Every place in Bali, um, whether it's at your villa or anywhere else, has a Wi-Fi connection. Most of the connections are pretty good. Um, at your co-working space, you've got your printer, you've got your meeting rooms, you can have your Skype meetings anytime. Um, all the infrastructure is there. That's the great thing about co-working spaces, not just when you're looking remotely, but setting up anywhere is all of that's taken care and you just rock up and you open up your laptop and away you go. So a few hundred bucks for your rent, um, then people say, yeah, but well, you know, how much is it going to cost me to live there? You know, and, and why would I do it? Yeah, I mean, I haven't quite... Well, I, mean, I think you've done some yeah. Googling, haven't you, and looked well, no, at some yeah, looking, accommodation? Looking in the article, they said the average participant who work, uh, f spends $1,000 a month. Yeah. So, I mean, you think about it. Like, I'd spend a couple of grand just living. Petrol, food, a month between That's my wife and I. That's what you spend on what, a new suit every couple of weeks, isn't it? Oh, I wish. <laughs> I wish. But, yeah, it's this bizarre, like, possibility that you could actually go and work in Bali for three months and live, and you might save money. Yeah. It's bizarre. And one of the other things which I think 
resonated with me is this idea of they hold you account to to working at the co-working at space. the co-working space. Yeah. Do you want to just yeah, take I us mean, through that? The great thing about it, and and a lot of co-working spaces have a real sort of community emphasis. And um, in this one in Bali, I think it's in Ubud, they have daily meetings where you can chat to each other and uh, bounce off each other talking about, okay, what challenges are you facing today? Um, What are your needs? And that's the great thing about that co-working community vibe is that you can connect with other people who might be in completely unrelated industries. And that can actually be an asset because what you're doing in your industry uh, might be different to me, but I can learn from the way you handle similar issues and so forth. And for me, those two things tick the boxes. I, I, I would have gone, I, I don't want to go there, it's too expensive. And the second thing is I probably won't be productive. Yeah. And, and so tick on the expenses and they, they, they hold you to account. So, you, you know, you're going to be productive. Um, like, just describe what your perfect working day might look like if you were, if we transported ourselves to a I'm, I'm really glad you asked me that because it's something that I've been thinking about almost <laughs> non-stop for the last 48 hours since I stumbled into that article. But it probably involves me waking up having a cooked breakfast of some description, which is always big for me, a good breakfast, mm. um, a nice healthy juice. The sun is shining, the birds are tweeting, and then... I'll um, wander down, maybe do a bit of a, a workout. This is a great thing about Bali and Ubud and that sort of stuff. It's, you know, the health mecca. All the hippies are there. They're doing their yoga, all of that sort of stuff. You can just picture it now. So do a bit of a workout, get the endorphins up, and then I'll probably sort of saunter into the co-working space wearing uh, my thongs, board shorts, and a singlet. And then I'd flip open my laptop and then I'd sort of get a bit of a handle on where things are at and see that there's 25 emails from people who are having some issues in Adelaide. I'd sort of laugh to myself, <laughs> crack open maybe a bintang. Is it too early? What is it? No, maybe no, 11, no, or, no, 11 no, or 12? No, no. And then I'd start ripping into my work. So I'd probably have a bit of a slower start and then um, ease into it during the day. And then I think that it would be, as you said, in terms of productivity, I think it would be having being smart and working probably less hours, but when, when you are on, you're really on, and you're smashing out that work over the course of three, four hours, taking a bit of a break and then going again, and then potentially working a bit later as well. Mm. To bring a bit of a summary, to, are, you happy, are you ready to summarise? Am Is I that... summarising? I was kind no, of no, hoping that... No, I'm, I'm happy to summarise. Yeah, yeah, please summarise. Um, you know, for me today was a, a great chance to debrief this idea of values, culture, look at a real-life example of a club that's responded in, I think, a really positive way um, and, and sort of understand what happens if you don't do it properly and then flick to this, this new wave of working. And I don't think you can, you can picture enough your perfect work day, I think, in, in, in the you know, grind of corporate life, if, if that's where you sit. You know, take some time to just write down what would a perfect workday look like because you can achieve that. Not for everyone, but it, it, it yeah, can happen. No, absolutely. And I think, I think there's a move away. And this, geez, this is going to open up another potentially big issue, but there's a move away from the standard nine to five, I think. I've never worked <laughs> nine to five, ever. <laughs> well, for, for me, the vast, you know, me in the rat race where I've been for the last, you know, whatever. No, but I just think that. We're always connected, 
And if we are working nine to five, we're probably working an extra two or three hours because we're dealing with emails from the moment we wake up, we're dealing with emails to the moment we shut our eyes at night. And people are starting to wake up to that and going, well, no, it doesn't have to be this way. If I want to work in the morning and then go home for a couple of hours in the Arvo and then come back, and I think, and I think companies out there are now changing their approach as well and allowing more of that flexibility. Some of these more savvy companies like Richard Branson's Virgin are very big on that. So I just think that this co-working way of doing things, potentially being able to you know, bugger off overseas and work somewhere else for a couple of months, I think more and more companies are going to be more open to that, they're going to be more flexible and I think that's the way it should be. Well, I think you and I need to search some flights. I think we need to book accommodation for July next year. And I think yep. we need to when disappear. It's, when it's really cold. We need to yeah. disappear for a couple of months. But um, thanks for joining us today. Oh, um, yeah, apologies for it taking a bit longer. And I would like to commit that there's going to be a fairly special guest next, yeah. next episode. And um, whilst you do love listening to us talk, mm. uh, I personally think it's riveting. Yeah, um, we, we, do, we do listen <laughs> back to it and go, gee, we were good today. <laughs> I think um, you, you'll be pleasantly surprised. We're going we're to have a nice special guest for you next, uh, next episode. So over to you, Monty, for last word. Looking forward to it. Catch you next time. Ciao.